Hello, and welcome to On Record In Conversation. I'm Jess Collins from the Birmingham Music Archive. In this podcast series, recorded in front of a live studio audience, we explore the vibrant and diverse music history, heritage and culture of Birmingham through the stories of some of those who have shaped and continue to influence the city's musical landscape. In this episode, Satnam Rana talks to James Indigo, an artist from Birmingham who uses his experiences of growing up as an LGBTQ person of colour to create an esoteric sound that is true to himself. Satnam asks about James' experience of growing up in Birmingham as a black queer musician. So, James, hello. Oh, hello. Hi, hi, hi. James is a Brummy, LGBTQ person of colour. And I think I read somewhere, freaky, fierce and unapologetically queer. Correct. I like it. So tonight is really very much about finding out more about you, the person behind the music, Mm -hmm. um, as well as about your music. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really want to start right at the beginning then. Mm -hmm. I've said you were a Brummy, but Mm -hmm. tell us a bit more. Where were you born? Um, I was born in Solihull. Um, I was made out of wedlock. And that's it. But yeah, I was born in Birmingham. I moved to Balsall Heath, single parent, um, and she raised two kids. Yeah. Oh, one of those amazing women in our lives, yeah? Exactly, exactly, yeah. So you grew up in Balsall Heath, which yep. is significantly different to Solly Hull. I mean, Solly yeah, Hull course. is like, you know. I think when she gave labour, she was maybe near the Solly Hull area. She wasn't living in Solly Hull. But um, she gave birth near the area, but completely different, completely different. So what's mum's name? Elizabeth. Elizabeth. But we call her Liz for short, yeah. What's your relationship with her? Very close, yeah. We we kind of say that we, we're more like best friends than a mother and son. So we have like a little drink and a little dance around and we talk about everything. It's not really like a mother and son So give me g- g- give me a bit of a sense of then, growing up in Borsal Heath, with your mum and your sibling, is it a boy? Brother. Brother, okay, so yeah. you and your brother in Borsal Heath. What, what was it like? I would say it was very hard. Me and my brother have 10 years gap, so um, he's in his 40s now. So when I was about seven or eight, he was out with his friends, teenager, having fun. So I would say I've got a brother, but I always felt like I was the only child. Um, single mother as well. She had two jobs, so kind of that stereotype of like, Mother, two jobs, no dad. But she tried her hardest to try and really um, put food on the table and look after two boys. And looking after two boys is quite hard as well. What sort of boy were you? Do you know what? I was quite the quiet boy. It was my brother that was the crazy one. I think I became the crazy one when I hit 18. It was my brother that was the crazy one. But I was quite a quiet, geeky kid, which is weird because I'm the complete opposite now. So that quiet, geeky kid growing up in Borsall Heath, how did you navigate the multi-everything of that area, really? I mean, it's a beautiful area because Mm. so many nationalities collide, but you Mm. kind of have to hold your own there as well, don't you? I think you have to definitely hold your own. I would say that I wasn't as feminine that I was then than I am now. I feel like growing up there, you adapt. I feel like, to me, it was kind of normal having like an Asian person next door, black person on the other side, Indian person across the road. To me, that was normal. To other people, it's kind of like, oh, no, we grew up in this kind of bougie area. To me, it was normal having that multicultural. But I feel like that is what inspires me and makes you the person that I I kind of am now. 
Um, so what type of things then did you um, enjoy? I'm, I'm trying to paint a picture of Balsall Heath. In what, yeah. what, what year are we talking about? Um, I'm 28 now, so... Um, oh my gosh, so young. Yeah, so maybe, I don't know. 1993-ish? Yeah. 1990s, that yeah. Ish, yeah. So I'm going 90s. off to... I'm not quite... Am I going off to uni? I'm kind of doing my A-levels around that time. I'm so old. So I'm probably in your brother's territory. Um, <laughs> but paint a picture in, in the early 90s what Borsal Heath was, was like sort of from an environmental, physical and social economic so point of view. I kind of remember is that I've grew up in a, a council household. So to me, everything was a little bit um, crazy in the sense of um, now looking back, it's crazy to feel like everybody was just like me. So I lived in an area where people didn't have their dads or they didn't have their mothers or not a few turns. There was a foster family. It was kind of like that very much environment of broken homes. But we all kind of got together and it was normal, if that makes sense. But at the time it was normal. Yeah. But now when you look back and you look around, oh, okay, not everyone lived that lifestyle. But to me, that was normal. What is normal? <laughs> what yeah. is normal? Yeah. To so me, that was my normal. Within yeah. that, did you find your sanctuary and your peace and your love and your joy of living and growing up in Walsall Heath? I, yeah, I definitely um, found the love of just connecting with people and sharing each other's, I don't want to say traumas, but sharing each other's just life experiences. I feel like I learned so much from different types of people and it was those people that made me the person that I am. Are there any particular people? We've just got some friends who've come into the room, so James is just waving over at them. Hi, you're welcome. And they've got black dresses on as well. (laughs) Is that significant? No. Was there a uniform to be worn tonight? There was no uniform, no. That's okay. The uniform is just sexy, I think. Yes, and you know it. So so tell me then, um, within that, is there a particular memory or a particular person that you can point to that you, you sort of recall from that? childhood that you've described i think i would say that i feel like the people that i met we kind of bonded of having the same life experiences and traumas so for instance the people that i would meet they didn't have a dad so it was like oh we're bonding over not having a dad because when you grow up i feel like my issue is growing up i feel like you're the only person So when you meet people that have the same life experiences, you kind of feel like, oh, you're not the only one. So I feel like I bonded over the same life experiences. You mentioned not having a dad quite a few times. So what sort of impact did that have on you? I would say at the time, um, it was quite bad. I feel like as a kid, you you kind of blame yourself. And I feel like I blame myself. So when I was young, it was kind of like, oh... Is it my fault that my dad doesn't want to spend time with me? Oh, like, why does that person's dad want to spend time with him? Is there something wrong with me? That was the kind of mentality growing up. And how did you sort of navigate that? Or did you sort of just stay in it? I felt like I just stayed in it. I just felt like it just became the norm. And because I lived in a very Asian um, community as well, everybody had both parents. So I felt like, oh... I'm the only one with no parents, apart from the odd few that I bonded with, but the majority was an Asian area. So I felt like, oh, okay, I'm the only one. But you just kind of, I feel like you just get on with it. 
You've mentioned your friend who walked in and you sort of said, and we bonded over not having a dad. So mm-hmm. g- give us an insight into the significance of your friend. Hello, friend. I don't know what Hello, your name friend. is. So the four of my best friends, which I love, are all immigrants, which I love. So I have a best friend from Poland, a best friend from Kenya, a best friend from Italy. So everybody has came over to the country and all had their own individual upbringings. And I feel like subconsciously, we're all the same person because of that. And we bond over not having dads. Well, you know, we all, we all, find, we all find things and commonalities, don't we, we when really it comes do, to friendships? Yeah. And in that, in that commonality, you've obviously found a sanctuary of friendship, mm-hmm. yeah, um, definitely. which is actually really beautiful yeah. because many people can wander through life feeling quite isolated and alone, yeah. but you've, you found that camaraderie between you guys. Most definitely, which yeah. Is, which is great. So then Borsal Heath is still quite an Asian area, yeah? yeah. And, and so it is your traditional family units mm-hmm. where, where you have mm-hmm. your mum and dads and your extended family, et cetera, et cetera. Did you have to deal with any sort of um, racism at that time or even homophobia, even though you hadn't come no. out at this point and it was going to be a long time? It wasn't really, from what I remember from a very young age, my family was the kind of weird family on the street because... Um, would be the only one that would drink. My mum liked to throw a few parties when I was younger. So we'd kind of be like the outsider family out of the bunch. I wouldn't say I suffered from um, from racism, but I was very much a feminine. I remember when I was young, my next door neighbour said to me, why do you always play like girls' music? What does that mean? Because <laughs> I'd always play like Kylie Minogue. And it was like, do you know any, any like male singers? And I was like, to me, it was normal playing Kylie Minogue. But I was like, and he was like, do you play any, any like boys music? And in my head, I was like, oh, I like dancing around to Kylie Minogue in my bedroom. So I wouldn't say I suffered from um, homophobia, but it was kind of in the sense of I like pop music and everybody else didn't. So to me, dancing around with my top after Kylie was normal. Not realizing to everybody else that's kind of weird can i just say dancing around to kylie minogue was perfectly normal in my household as well but then obviously yeah growing up it's different yeah yeah yeah. and i did speak to kylie minogue as well did you and she's and yeah and i spoke to her so i had like a full circle moment so i did an interview with huff post yeah and i um tagged kylie minogue in the interview because i'm verified she must have seen the interview and we had a conversation. Tell me about the conversation. It was just because I tagged it in the interview. So she must have read the interview and she said, oh, thank you for like speaking my name and just saying all these great things. And I was like, thank you. And then she said, basically, James, continue doing you. You're a star. So that was kind of like a full circle moment of me being eight years old, dancing around to her, to her acknowledging me and being proud. How did you feel? Exciting. I think I was with Patty at the time, my friend over there. I had to go outside. It was when I seen her, on, <laughs> because on Instagram when somebody messages you, you can see it saying, um, like, typing. Typing, yeah, typing. And I was like, she's typing. <laughs> I love it. And I was like, she's typing. Can I go outside just to kind of calm down? So and then she called me a star and I was like, oh, oh. shit. <laughs> Kylie Mlo called me a star. I was like, that is my eight-year-old gay self literally dying right now. So her opposite number, Jason Donovan, massive mm-hmm, teenage mm-hmm. crush. Quite frankly, I would, yeah, I would, mm-hmm, full mm-hmm, stop, yeah. Mm-hmm. So Gosh. good story about Kylie Minogue, I like it. That is a I like good story, it. Yeah. it is good. It is. Hello, Kylie. Hey, Kylie, we like Kylie. 
And I know she's a big influence and we're going to come into musical influences in a short while. What about family now then? My family situation now. It's quite close. I don't have a big family. So I'm very close with my mother, close with my brother and his kids. I'm close with my grandmother, which is my father's mother, but not with my father. So this is my dad's mom, Mm -hmm. but I'm not close with my dad. But my father's mom never misses a birthday, a Christmas. We speak. She has Facebook, WhatsApp. She's in her 70s and she is... Is she here in the UK? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She doesn't live that far from me, actually. She lives near the five ways area. But we talk all the time. She lives Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp. She's all about that. And we're completely close. And she loves other music. She I like the way like, you James. said she's 70. 70's kind of like really young, so like... Oh, it, oh no, it's so wrong. But no, but no, but my mum... No, Just cause, saying. No, because my mum's in her 50s and she cannot use oh, my the phone properly. She can't even use the phone. <laughs> she's well young. My mum cannot use the phone. She's like, she would send me voicemails. If she, see, if she could, she would send me a postcard. Oh, brilliant. So for my nan to be in her 70s on WhatsApp, Instagram, Facebook taking selfies it's so cool does that does that compensate for not having dad on the scene i think so it does yeah, yeah. it also compensates in being raised by women which as well. is really significant yeah for you what was school like for you oh god okay i hated school absolutely hated school i was bullied all through school oh. hated it didn't like it would skip school all the time when you were skipping school what were you doing oh nothing as long as i wasn't in school i was fine so even if I was at home or just found the corner or just at the shops, I would completely skip school. School to me was not like the best experience. Did you get through the whole GCSE thing and then move on to college or did you kind um, of... I, no, I did it by the skin of my teeth, like the skin of my teeth. I went to college, but um, I was never that rebellious type as a kid, but I knew that school wasn't for me, so I just would not go into school. So did you learn anything else outside school which led you to the path of music? Um, well, I studied music in college and I was quite good in college because you're more of an adult in college where school is more like you have to do these things at a certain time and you can't really escape it. With college, it's kind of more free and chilling. So which college did you go to and in terms of the music? Why did you pick music? Okay, so firstly, I did food in college only because my brother does food. So I thought I can like take after my brother and food was quite good in college. But I, after the year, I did really good in food, but I um, it didn't want to pursue that as a career. So then I did music and I studied that for two years and that was great. Which college was that? South Birmingham. Oh, okay. The yeah, one yeah, in yeah, yeah. Digbeth. And so when you started studying music, did you get the bug? Yeah, yeah. In the music college that I was in, they have rooms where you can learn like piano and guitar. And I was the type of kid that I never wanted to go home. I don't know why, but I just wanted to stay out and just do things. So I would stay in the music college till about 8pm to 9pm just learning the piano. Just learning and learning. And then every session that I had, I just wanted to learn how does this work? How does that work? How does the mic transfer into there I wanted to know about the whole technology side of it as well and that really comes through in your music now course, because you yeah. know in your production values mm-hmm. as well as the actual the compositions is probably the right no, of course, use, yeah but at the time I was scared to kind of do anything that I would write or perform I was quite scared so it was more so just learning how the 
autonomy works of like the whole music, just how like the production works, how the mic feed would work, how the piano would work, how things like that would work. But I was scared to kind of put yourself in it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely. So at what point then did you did you kind of decide that, yeah, I've got this like big bank of, I guess, musical knowledge mm-hmm. um, now and, and learning and I really want to bring myself, me and my identity to it. I think it was, I was 24 turning 25. Oh, so quite late. And I was like, oh shit, I'm turning 25 years old. <laughs> Even like people now will be like, oh, that's nothing. But, I, but in my head, I was like, do you know what? I'm turning 25. I've always wanted to do music. Not that time is running out, but I thought, like, I, sh- I should be really doing my shit that I really want to do. I went through a breakup, which was quite traumatising. And I thought to myself, do you know what? The only person that can make me happy is myself. And instead of putting other people first, why don't I really just put myself first and see what happens? And I was writing this song, Good Contour, at the time. And I was like, do you know what? Just fucking do it. Just do it. You're turning 25. Just do it. Let's just do it. And I did it. And here you are. And here I am now. Did the years leading up to that moment of learning music Mm. and having it as part of your life, because I know you came out quite late as well. Well, I was going to say quite late. You came out whenever you wanted to come out. I came out like 20. 20. So, you know, coming out at 20, do you think that the the music helped you with that journey to coming out? Oh, my God. I feel like if, if it wasn't for the music, I just would have been like a depressed boy i i generally feel like it was the music that completely saved me like my life if it wasn't for the music i would not be here right now i feel like it's quite cathartic as well it's it's kind of like people keep a diary to me it was like writing loads and loads of music and then putting it out to the world and people liking it and accepting it it was a weird feeling it was kind of like oh I'm not the only one that feels these things. And, oh, people like what I want to talk about. And you want to talk about being gay. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, for instance, like, when I did my song called Contour, I was writing... So, basically, the song was done in 2018, but I released it in 2019 because I was writing the video. And all my friends were like, oh, if you do a video, just kind of make it a little bit stray a little bit sexy but I thought if I wanted to do a video I kind of wanted it to be like full-on queer full-on out there full-on this is who I am so it took a whole year just to write it to save up the money as well because I wanted to make sure it was a full-on production so when I released it I wanted to make sure there was me kissing boys girls kissing girls Outfits are crazy, makeup, amazing scenes, the whole shebang, which I did. And then Gay Times picked it up and premiered it. That must have been an epic moment. Oh, yeah, I almost collapsed on the floor. Like, my knees weren't kind of, like... My my fucking knees weren't kind of weak, because I found out, because I was working um, at this place called Carhartt, and I was like, I got the email, and it was like, oh, yeah, James, we really want to release the video, yada, yada, yada. And I was like... <gasps> This is going to change my life. And then they put it on the Instagram page. And then the rest is kind of just history from now. What did your mum make of it? What did your family make of it? My mum just thinks I'm crazy, to be honest. She's kind of used to it. It's kind of like my friends over there. Like They just think, <laughs> they just know that I'm crazy. So to people that don't know me, it's kind of like a bit weird. But to my friend, it's like, James has always been this crazy. Crazy or eclectic? Or... Crazy in... And, 
amazing way. Yeah. Yeah. My mum thinks I'm great because I think I'm the only one in the family that really just took a risk and did something. Everybody was happy with a nine to five, which is fine, which is great. But I've always wanted just a little bit, just a little bit more. A little bit more. Just a little bit. Just a little bit of... That's a Betty Boo song, isn't it? Just a little bit of a brrrr. (laughs) Just Um, a little brrrr. So they think you're crazy, but actually you're just your own person. Crazy in a good way, In a good way, but you're just your own person is is how I see it. But how do you feel about being... You know, your music style comes from rapping and an industry which is so male-dominated and so macho and so the opposite of what is in the majority out there. And then along you come on the scene and put your own stamp on it, how do you feel about being... There's probably loads, let's be honest. There's quite yeah, there's quite a few. Yeah. But one of the only few sort of out, out and loud and proud about it. Oh, I love it. I might as well. Because I always feel like there's always like a change that I wanted, but I couldn't see it. So I thought, why don't I be the change that I want to see? So I thought, you know what? If no one else is going to do it, I might as well do it. And I love doing it as well. Like that's what gets me up in the morning. I like annoy my friends with like, can you listen to this lyric or this bar? Do you think this sounds good? Like, I love it. It's if, what gets me up in the morning. If that's what gets you up in the morning, then give me a sense of the drive that you have that gets you to this point of creativity, which is absolutely mind-blowing when I see your videos and the way you merge your music style with the visual dynamics and the storytelling and actually also some really serious messaging as well, quite frankly. Do you know what? I feel like being like a weird, lonely, bullied kid, it kind of builds you up to something. And I feel like this is what I feel like it's led up to do. So having the confidence to do it, it feels like this is what I've always meant to do, basically. That's all I can say. Do you ever have imposter syndrome or a bit of vulnerability? And if you do, what do you do to overcome it? Um, Yeah, I feel like I have that sometimes. I feel like I have days where I... I feel like it's days where you overthink things. And I feel like we all do it where we overthink everything that we do. So for instance, I can do a song which I love. And I play it to all my friends. And then I listen to it a few times again. I'm like, oh, do you think I should do it like this or do it like that? Or should the video be like this or be like that? But then I just kind of have to stop myself and be like, you know what? Thoughts are not facts. And just do what you feel is best. I feel like following your gut is always the best thing to do. I think it's really important for people listening to this podcast to hear that as well, because mm-hmm. no matter where, where you are in life, mm-hmm. gender, sexuality, mm-hmm. race, all that sort of stuff, we all have those days and mm-hmm. we have to be, you know, we can't always be on the high, can we? Mm-hmm. Can be, of course, people, yeah. people of conviction do have those wobbly moments, but it's knowing how you surmount those wobbly moments mm-hmm. to move on. In music videos, because they're so theatrical, so mm-hmm. did you have like acting lessons along the way oh nothing i just like i just have these crazy thoughts in my head like i always do to my friends so for instance i did an ep called married to the game and um i wanted to spell it as g-a-y-m-e like gay i know right so clever but for instance my manager was like james why don't we just do like a normal headshot really pretty really nice but I, in my head I wanted to be decapitated and served on like a plate. I've seen that one, yeah. <laughs> and to me, that was the only thing that felt normal to me. So to me, that was like, if I did a normal headshot, that just wouldn't feel the best. It's just about doing whatever that goes, yeah, whatever goes to my head. 
So where has that influence of bringing that audiovisual theatrical as well as your clearly your your fab mm-hmm. you know rapping musical talent? Who influenced you? To get it's to weird because growing up, like I didn't really have a lot. Like I kind of just go what goes through my head. So for instance, when I grew up, I listened to like Kylie. My mother would listen to loads of reggae, and my brother would listen to loads of garage. So I have all these influences going in. But through the visuals, it wasn't really anybody that I could take from. I like Madonna and things like that. But when I was doing it, it was just kind of just what goes straight through my head. So when I was doing my contour, my first video, I was like, oh, I want to have two women making out with each other. And why don't they lick each other's feet? It was kind of like that. Um, because you thought it, you did I it. was like, oh, why don't they lick each other's feet and why don't they have really long nails? And then why don't I be, like, in a cage? Why not? It was kind of not like a thing. It was just, it was going to go to an extreme, but we kind of toned it down a little bit. But it was like, why don't I be stuck in a cage? Why don't we have a naked scene? Why don't we have somebody spitting wine into each other's mouth? It was kind of like that. So my ideas with my director's ideas just bounce back and forth. Just crazy ideas. And why not? It's free reign, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of like, why not? But as a rapper, did you have anybody who influenced you? I mean, really interesting that because it's such a male-dominated industry. I think as a rapper, I kind of like, I like people that influence me that you wouldn't think that would influence me. So I like loads of reggae music. I like a lot of bashman music and dancehall. I like the way they word things. So if you listen to reggae music, their wording and their lyrics are really good. I like rappers like Eminem that do like weird, crazy videos that me and my friends would just dance to and like Madonna as well. Do you know what I think? I like people that just push, that push the boat, that don't really give a fuck if they get cancelled or not. They're just like, I want to do this video. Let me just do it. That was kind of my influence, that people that just didn't really care. So in all of this, what role has your Jamaican heritage played then? And then obviously your sexuality and being openly career and influencing your style. Um, I would say, so basically my mother loves reggae music. So every morning I'd wake up to her listening to reggae music constantly. Since I could remember, it was like Morgan Heritage or Sizzler or just... Um, Maxi Priest, there's loads of reggae artists all the time. So when I started doing music, it was kind of natural for me to spit in a patwa accent just because I was so used to it. So when I would rap over techno music, for instance, when I did my song Contour, I would rap just normally and then I would just do a Jamaican accent in patwa just because it was, it just came to me as it was normal. And then obviously because I'm gay, I don't want to talk about women I want to talk about the men that I've dated so I'd be rapping over techno music in a Jamaican accent and because I'm gay I'm not gonna obviously talk about the woman that I had last week it would be about the man that I had last week so then it would all be that mixed in a bunch which hasn't really been done before as well and I thought do you know what I'm just gonna send that off that's so what I want to do obviously gay times picked up on it and within the LGB. TQIA plus, thank you. LMNMP, community. Clearly, there's a space there for it. But what about everybody else? Is it for the intended just for that community, or is it for like everyone? 
I feel like I'm just doing it for people that like the music. So the music that's, comes first. That's I think the music comes first because going into it, I knew that not everybody would like it, but I'm doing it for the people that we connect with. So the people that message me and all the people that support me, we kind of get each other. And that's what I want to do it for. I don't want to go into the industry thinking I want to do it for these straight people because that's nothing. I want to do it for people that are like, oh, we're the same. And it inspires them. Especially people of colour and gay people of colour. It's like we get each other and they can live the best life, you know. So basically when I would grow up, the only gay person I would see would be Alton John and George Michael. I would never see somebody that looked like me. When I was young, I was quite naive, and I never knew that black people could be gay. So when I started going out to gay places and I saw people my own age and people that were actually queer and they owned it, I was like, oh, okay, I'm not the only one. So in my head, I was like, oh, I can be that person for somebody else. I feel like when I was growing up, I feel like you kind of made to think that being gay was just kind of like some evil sin. You kind of feel quite isolated, I think. So I kind of felt like um, you couldn't be gay, you couldn't be black, you, you couldn't do all these things. So James the artist versus James the person are two different people or not? Maybe a little bit. I feel like the James Booth side is kind of like a quiet, shy guy. Do you know what? It's kind of hard because I say that to my friend. It's like, can we, like, the James Indigo and the James Booth, which is my birth name, it's kind of like, oh, we're the same person. But I feel like, I, I don't know, the, the Indigo was just a little bit more... Where did Indigo come from? Um, It's from the term Indigo Child. I'm quite, like, a, a spiritual being. So when I was 19, I um I was really into, like, crystals and I would have all these feelings of different things and I would, like, Google all these emotions that I would feel and they said oh you've an indigo child so then when I was doing my music I was like James indigo James indigo child no James indigo and it just kind of just stuck like that but um I feel like we're the same just the um indigo is just a little bit more just a little bit more crazy yeah yeah who influences you now who's your inspiration now do you know what influences me now is my friends I think so, for instance, like I was saying earlier, I've got a friend Ooh, from girls. Poland, a friend from Kenya, a friend from Italy, two friends that are women, and a friend that's a gay guy from Italy that comes down. And I think just hearing stories, also being in London, I have a lot of friends that are trans. They teach me, and I learn things from them that I never even knew. So, for instance, I remember when my trans friend was saying that, like, promoters don't pay for their travel. And I was like, travel? Why should they pay for your travel? And I was like, as a trans woman, catching tubes are dangerous and we need to make sure we've got transport here and there. And I'm like, I never even thought of that. So as a gay man, I'm like, I never even thought of that. Mm. So that inspires me. Hearing stories from my friends from Kenya, from Poland, I'm like, wow, you think we have it easy here? They have it completely different. Being a woman as well, I'm just like, Jesus Christ, like, I thought it was hard being me, but then being a woman, they're like, they have, they, <laughs> they, that, they have a whole different fucking thing. I'm like, Jesus Christ. It's these things that inspire me to be the person that I am and to understand how people work. So I would say my friends inspire me the most. 
Isn't that beautiful? I wasn't expecting that as an answer. Yeah. Because so many people talk about, like, you know, pop stars or rock stars or whoever, whatever. No, definitely music, my friend inspired me the most. There's something... Okay, for me, then, what I'm reading into that is a little bit like... I'm originally from Wolverhampton, but roll around in Brum now. And I kind of think... I remember when I first got my first gig at the BBC and my uncle said, if your feet start lifting off that ground, we're going to bring you right back down, girl. And I think there's something down to earth about being a Brummie, isn't there? I think there is, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So you, you mentioned London. You kind of live half a life in London, half a life here in Birmingham. Are you still in Birmingham? I'm in Birmingham for now. I am planning to move to London. Only because that's where my, that's where my management is. Um, that's where a few more jobs is. And the travelling back and forth is getting a little bit tiring. But I feel like I have... I would say I'm 50-50% I'm here 50% of them. Your heart is still here. And I can't, oh, yeah, always, yeah. I'm proud to say that I'm from here, always, yeah. So in musical pursuit, you're going down there. So what does that then say about the scene here in Birmingham for someone like you? I would say the scene here in Birmingham is great, but it's very, um, it's in a work in progress, I think. I'm happy they've done the Commonwealth Games. That's brought a lot of attention to here. But with the opportunities... There's obviously more in London, but I would never shy away from being from here because it kind of adds a spice to the mix a little bit. For you then, um, carrying that beacon for Birmingham to London and beyond, because you're going to Berlin, aren't you, for um, soon? Yep. But then you're back, you're back here doing um, the, the Music Awards as well, Birmingham, Birmingham Music, Music Awards. Awards. yes. So it seems to me that actually whilst you may go, you may be heading down there, you'll still keep a really good link with the city. Oh, my God, of course. Like... I feel like you should never be ashamed from where you're from and your upbringing. Some people like to hide away and be like, they live this fancy lifestyle in London or New York or whatever. I'm proud to say I'm from like a single mother, council house, Birmingham, because that's what's made me who I am now, you know? If it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be the person that I am now. I wouldn't have had that hustle or that drive or that lust for life. And how do you feel about the view of Birmingham. I mean, it's probably altered over the last 12 days because we've literally just come off the back of the Commonwealth Games and we've been beamed out globally as well as, you know, nationally on TV screens for the last 12 days. And I think it really has reset the narrative for Birmingham personally. Mm -hmm. But for you, musically, do you, how do you feel about other people and their perceptions of Birmingham and the city and the people? I think a lot of people have, like, a negative spin. But I kind of... It's hard, but I just kind of... I like to say that I'm from here... And loads of people have their views, but a lot of people that have their views haven't visited it. So um, I kind of like to prove people wrong to be like, oh, I'm from here. It's fine, you know? And I want to see you proving them wrong. Oh, <clears throat> yeah, of course. You know, as we, not just through that, but through your music as well. Oh, yeah, of course. I love to mention Birmingham all the time, of course. Like, this is who I am. All my friends are from here. I've got the accent. When I'm drunk, that comes out <laughs> even <it> more. <laughs> oh, my God. And it's like, I'm proud. I feel like when I was younger, I was quite ashamed to say I was from Birmingham because of the stigma. But then the older I've become, it's like, do you know what? I'm proud. Like, this is who I am. Like, why not? And I feel like the Birmingham accent is quite endearing. I feel like if I broke my leg right now, I'd love a Birmingham person to be like, oh, you're right, Bab, it's okay. You're right, Bab. Come over here. I would love that. They're like, well, come over here. I'm like, okay, I'll come. 
Don't it's, break a leg. It's quite please. nice. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, yeah, that's fine. It's endearing. Great. Yeah, let's go. Don't break a leg. But break a leg. But break a leg because I only wish you all the best Thank you. for whatever comes next down in London. But keep it real. Keep it brum. You've been absolutely ace for us. Thank and you. Uh, long may it continue. Thank you. Woo! On Record, In Conversation is produced by Siobhan Stevenson for the Birmingham Music Archive and presented by Birmingham 2022 Festival with the generous support of Arts Council England and the National Lottery Heritage Fund. <laughs>